0: Do you believe in God? Yes. Great, most people do. In fact, even the demons do. Have you made God your Lord, your absolute boss and master? Yes. Because if you want to survive spiritually in Babylon, that's the key. You have to accept God as your Lord. And if you want to influence people toward God, they will need to see you treat him as Lord.
1: Which inspire your head.
2: Good morning, Blue Water Church. Let's pray together. We invite your presence, Lord, right into the spaces where we are, our cars, our living rooms, this moment. Thank you for the wind of your spirit that you're blowing, calling us to yourself today. Open our ears to hear you, Lord, open our hearts respond like like we did at first like new Jesus we thank you for your active faithful life you define faithfulness Lord you are trustworthiness itself God I thank you for uh, the image that you gave to Karen to paint for today Uh, this image of surrender Lord we say with that image, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Lord, to be influenced, led by, controlled by your Holy Spirit, whatever it takes, Lord, for us to be yielded so that we can then produce with you the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control and where there will be no conflict because we're aligned with you Lord whatever it takes come Holy Spirit help us to surrender to you God we thank you for the words you have for us today bless the hearing of Jordan's sermons our ears and more importantly the voice of your spirit to our spirit Let us respond to you. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas season, the reminder that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot even understand it. But you speak to us as children, as a father to children. Lord, thank you. We invite you. We welcome you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Hey, Blue Water. My name is Grace Spanauer. Um I've been at Blue Water for about four or five years.
4: Hey, Blue Water. My name is Joelle Speinauer, and I'm new to Hawaii and new to Blue Water, and I'm excited to get to meet all of you.
3: Well, the most exciting thing that happened to me was that I got married.
4: Hey. <laughs> well, this year my whole life changed. <laughs> um, I got married and moved from the East Coast to Hawaii.
3: we've known each other for 14 years. We met in college my senior year, and our senior year, I should say.
4: Got to know each other pretty quickly, pretty well. We were good friends, but we were never more than friends.
3: And then we both ended up dating other people. It just happened to be that right as I was ending that relationship, um, she was beginning another relationship. We were like ships passing in the night.
4: But then, you know, years went by and now we would reach out to each other now and then and catch up.
3: We both shared a love for the Lord. Um, I remember I would call Joelle on the phone um, in the evening that we would just talk for hours about um, the Lord and just about our lives. When
4: we uh, reconnected over Christmas in North Carolina last year, um, felt prompting to see if something else might be in the works and little did I know, there was something else in the works and it would happen quickly. So, um, a long time passed before that happened, but then when it was God's time, it was God's time.
3: Joelle, she was planning on coming out to Hawaii to spend 10 days right during my spring break. Um, Little did we know that we would plan it right in the middle of COVID. Should we do like all four hands or just two? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) let's just do two.
4: I think the most unexpected part of our story this year was Uh, COVID and how that abruptly changed all of our plans and expectations, at the time seeming like chaos, but really actually kind of working in our favor in some ways.
3: It's always easier to go through a trial together.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It was scary. I felt like I put on my heart to be bold and um, reaching out to Gray after we had met up and being pretty direct um, and vulnerable and letting, giving him the chance to say no to me.
3: I noticed the change in my own heart um, after Joelle got stuck here and we did life together for, um, you know, a couple months I mean, we had known each other for 15 years, I had already developed a love for her um, and and I feel like it just, God confirmed it in my heart that she was the one.
4: Or maybe I'll just let you do it. (laughs) here. Disappointments will happen, waiting is hard, Um, and sometimes you wait longer than you think you're supposed to, or you see other people um, getting married before you do, or whatever it is you might be waiting for, but to not compare yourself to other people and just to do what God's told you to do and to keep at it, because He's faithful.
3: For me, I I think faith is action. It's it's something that you, uh, it's a gift from the Lord, Um, and whenever He gives you faith, Uh, You don't question it, you just move. I feel like I need to do that again.
5: (laughs) Thank you so much, Gray and Joelle, uh, for that wonderful Advent story. And thank you, Blue Water, for joining us today. Uh, This season we have so much that we're waiting for. I know it feels for many of us that we've been waiting all year long but there are some exciting things coming up for us as a church and the first one is a movie night on December 13th. So this is for families mainly. Um, Please register. Space is limited because we're trying to be really safe and get people distanced. So um, you can show up early to get your snacks. We're going to have hot chocolate and uh, Anna Roberts' famous wassail. And uh, we're going to have a great time watching Elf. So please join us for this amazing family movie night on December 13th. A week after the movie night, we're very excited to have our 11th annual Christmas concert, which will be online this time, virtual. um, And it will be released the weekend after the movie night. Uh, So please look forward to that. Maybe you can invite some people to watch with you in a safe, socially distanced way. Um, And that's gonna be very exciting. That will take place of the Sunday service that week. Uh, So please enjoy our Christmas concert that weekend. Other than that, uh, we will uh, continue our worship with our tithes and offerings. So if you're a regular member of Blue Water and you would like to give, you can do so online, uh, through the website, or you can send your checks here to the church office. Um, But if you're visiting, if you're just watching this for the first time, just checking us out, please feel no obligation to give. We want this service to be a gift to you. Um, We'd like to pray for our kids before we get started, before they go off and spend some time with Uncle Rolo or (laughs) Uncle Connor. Uh, So kids, if you could stand up and we'll pray for you. Well, Father God, we thank you so much for this season of expectation and excitement, Lord, as we wait uh, for your arrival. We pray, God, that the kids would feel that as well, that there would be such excitement uh, and such happiness and joy for them as they wait on you, and that your presence would be all over them this Advent season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: All right. Do you believe in God?
1: Yes. 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 Yes.
0: Most people do. Great. Even the demons do. We happen to know. Uh, so second question, is God your Lord? Yes. Yes. Okay, see that's a very different question. Have you made God your absolute boss and priority? Right, that's, that's the thing. Uh, because if you want to survive spiritually in Babylon, then accepting God as your Lord well that's that's the key to everything and if you want to influence people toward God in Babylon They will need to see you treat him as Lord. Jesus said, In this world, you will have trials and tribulations. Fear not, I have overcome the world. So, if you live for God in the midst of Babylon, you will have trials and tribulations. Uh, You will get thrown into the fiery furnace from time to time. Uh, You will get accused and judged by people on occasion people will find you offensive now and then the only question is how you're going to react to the furnace Uh, and if you go about it well things could get very interesting. Uh, I think I told this story like sometime within the last couple of years uh, for forgive me. I can't tell recent stories because they involve you people and then that would be impolite. But this is a time from when I was in my 20s, and I was thinking about marrying this girl uh, named Sonia, which means that I needed to earn a little money, need to buy a ring, and stuff like that. Uh, at the time, um, I was you know, fairly recently out of college. I was living in a very dangerous neighborhood. I was doing uh, some justice ministry. I was living in a community house um, that I would helped start, and I I'd been working part-time at a research center at Stanford, uh, continuing um, really my, my policy research that I had done as an undergraduate. I was helping to b- write a book on race relations. Uh, I was uh, pursuing ministry in situations of uh, you know racial disparity and stuff like that. It was, it was a big passion of mine, and I was, uh, I was fully in on it. Here's the thing. Social justice ministry doesn't earn you a lot of money, as it turns out. Who knew? Who knew about this? Uh, So I had to get a real job, uh, and I started casting about for one. Uh, I saw this policy analyst opening in County Politics. I applied for it. Um, It was a really cool job. Uh, It was analyzing, policies that impacted the environment of the area, like I would be analyzing traffic loads and commute times and you know all stuff like that. So a really great job for me because I, I care about those sort of issues uh, quite a bit. I went and I interviewed and they liked me so much, they gave me a job, but they even expanded the job a little bit at the, at the 11th hour, right before I signed the contract. They said, and we're going to make you the speech writer for the office, and you're going to get to write speeches for the political official in charge. Uh, And then it gave me pause, because I didn't agree with all of the views of this political uh, official. Uh, She uh, identified herself strongly as a feminist. I'm very pro-woman, but it involved some policy positions for her that I didn't like. And so I wrestled with this. I'd really like a job, I'd really like to earn some money, I'd really like to get married, but I can't do this. So I phoned him up, and I said, I see that you've changed the job requirements. I'm afraid I'm going to have to decline the job, you know, because of my, because of my beliefs, because my, uh what I believe uh, due, to, uh, due to my faith. And I expected, a, oh, well, that's regrettable. But what I got was a tirade. Uh, the official on the phone started screaming at me. He said, how dare you? You know, we trusted you. We accepted you as part of the team. Your career in politics around here is over. So that was the beginning and the end of my political career in the San Francisco Bay Area. All that studying, all of that research, boom, crashed and burned. I remember telling that story to the guy who was pastor of the church that uh, Sonia and I went to at the time, and I expected him to cari- commiserate. Oh, that's terrible. You can't get married. And what he said was, praise God. And then he immediately moved on to another subject, as if that was normal for him. It's like, do you realize the sacrifice that I've done? But he taught me something by acting as if that was just a normal part of Christian life. Uh, interestingly, it turned out that the job I went on to get was at a software company. It was at Oracle. You guys know Oracle software? So I think the second biggest software company, at least at the time, and I got a job as a a, uh, human resource analyst. It was an analytical job. I worked in the human resources department, and Oracle was really interesting. It was was a fairly new company back then. Their policy was to hire young people from only 15 universities in America. So we were all the same age, and we all kind of had similar backgrounds as pre-homogenous. And the division I worked in was filled with young people. I think the senior manager was like 24 years old or something like that. So it was a little bit like being in a fraternity, uh, sorority, like all these young people. And uh, the environment was a little bit hormonal, if you understand what I mean. Um, And there was a a young woman there um, who, you know... I had uh, befriended a little bit. We got to know each other. She knew that I lived a kind of a weird life. She also knew that I had a girlfriend and that I was trying hard to earn enough money to get married. Sony and I weren't officially engaged yet, but they had met her and stuff. And she walked up to my cubicle one day, and she started talking about her marital issues, because she is recently married, and started talking to me about uh, the details of her sex life and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, that's a little inappropriate. But she went on, and then at a certain point, she said, you know how it is, don't you, Jordan? You know how it is, you and Sonia. And I was like, well, actually, no. You know, I haven't, I haven't slept with Sonia. And she said, oh, you mean that because you're living in that dangerous neighborhood in Sonia, Delaware, that you guys don't sleep together all the time. But I mean, you've done it with Sonia, right? I said, no, I haven't. You know, again, I started talking about my faith. And she said, wait a minute. You've never done it at all with anyone, she said. I said, well, Lisa, frankly, no. You know, I haven't. And then she screamed. And she said, Jordan, you're a virgin? And it sort of echoed all over the office. Virgin, virgin, virgin. All down, you know, there were like 60 people on this wing, all sitting in cubicles. And I remember looking around, and it was like, it was like a, Prairie dogs coming out of their burrows. Like everybody looking up and looking around, and a group of people came and gathered at my cubicle just to kind of examine me. And it's like, wow, you know, he looks so normal. But. Uh, and I got a lot of examination that day. Uh, there was one uh, young lady <coughs> in the division who was reputed to be having an affair with the CEO of the company. She just stopped talking to me. You know, she's just like, I don't want anything to do with that guy. Because obviously I was like an enemy at that point or something. Uh, but the other thing that happened, and it's the thing that always happens in situations like this for me, is that I became a confidant, uh, at least in that division of the company, for everyone who had trouble. You know, I, I was an offense, and somehow I was also an illumination uh, for people. Uh, from that job that's when i went into academia i decided to become a professional academic and well you know american academia is the most hostile place for christians there is outside of i don't know maybe certain islamic or communist countries something like that in academia i was openly ridiculed for my faith in classes uh, that i took but you know, true to form, also helped convert a few schoolmates, and Sony and I helped start a church in that community as well. The point I'm trying to make with all of these stories is that throughout life, even when I was just trying to figure things out, I just try to honor God in a straightforward, simple way. Just try to like stick to God's ways as best I can. And two things tend to happen. One, people find me offensive and two people see the light in me. It seems to go together. Uh, We are in a sermon series on the book of Daniel and uh, the book of Daniel is largely about how to live according to God's ways. In a worldly system that is not at all dedicated to God's ways, is dedicated to different ways. How a Christian might live in Babylon, um, and uh, so far we've seen Daniel and a few friends, um, <clears throat> Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Uh, they've uh, they're captive in Babylon. They've been taken from their home uh, in Jerusalem, um, and. Uh, They've been kind of culturally raped. Their names have been changed. They're now named after false god. Uh, they've likely been castrated uh, by way of turning them into uh, bureaucrats in Babylon. They're offered security and prestige in a manner that, unfortunately, often involves attempts at co-opting them into the ways of Babylon. Now, so far, we've seen the guys face down temptations having to do with being co-opted into the ways of Babylon. But if you live and work in Babylon, what happens is that the pressure to play along just keeps coming at you. It just keeps coming at you. And so we get another story today. We get a story not about Daniel himself, but about his posse, about Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Their names have been changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which any fan of Veggie Tales can tell you. Daniel has become uh, an official in the palace, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are sort of roving bureaucrats for the empire, but still trying to figure out how to live according to God's ways. What we're going to do this week is we're going to read Daniel chapter 3. It's, again, kind of a long reading, but it's one story, uh, so hopefully it will go pretty quickly. And this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. It's a story that everybody knows, uh, kind of gruesome and kind of fun. Uh, Picking it up at the beginning, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language it's important to kind of recognize that this is uh, an empire crowd. So people from all sorts of different cultures are there, including some Jewish captives. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zith- zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, as soon as the band strikes up, you must fall down and worship the image of gold, that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all other kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, that word literally means ethnicities, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flutes, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good, all is forgotten, it'll be fine, I'm giving you a chance here, boys. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace. Uh, We know how that goes. Skipping down a little bit to verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who says anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Well, that says more about Debbie Kenzer's personality than anything else, but suffice it to say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get rewarded by the king for their faith, and the king has his mind changed with respect to the one true God, the Lord whom Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego serves. Great story. I think it deserves some applause. (laughs) Shadrach, Meshach, and the Fiery Furnace. That's a great one. That's a great story. Iconic in every way everybody knows that story. Um, There's this golden image that's at the heart of this story. Nebuchadnezzar builds this 90-foot tall, 9-foot wide, golden image. It was probably, you know, stone or wood overlaid with gold, but whatever. (coughs) Kind of a common thing uh, for great empires to do something like this. You would make a great idol that represented some god of the land. This was probably a Baal or a, a Molech, something like that, common gods. And it turns out uh, that these gods were typically worshipped in a similar manner. You had the idol. It had some metal to it. And then in front of it, uh, what you would do is you would build a huge fire pit or construct a huge fire pit of some manner. And that was the fiery furnace in this story. And then the way worship was done uh, for these images, sorry, this is kind of disgusting, but you would build a big fire there and it would heat the metal. And these images usually had some sort of arms or shelf sticking out in front. And then you would sacrifice humans to the idol, often by uh, putting them on the heated metal arms of the idol, and they would fry to death. Or failing that, you would just throw them into the sacrificial pit in front of the idol. So this was very common. The people that were typically sacrificed on the heated metal arms of the idol uh, were babies. You would take a newborn and place the newborn there. Passing them through the fire was a phrase that we sometimes read in the Old Testament about this. Or you would use prisoners of war. Um, both were considered suitably dispensable: babies and prisoners of war. And you human sacrifice to this thing. So that's the arrangement, a very common arrangement. And I think it's important to recognize uh, that this wasn't so much about worshiping the God in this story as it was celebrating unity. Because you notice when the officials did give the declaration, they say, everybody's going to bow down together. All peoples, all nations, all tongues. So really, this is a smart political exercise for the king. It's Like, look, you can believe whatever you want. We're an open society. That's how we work. With the caveat that you all bow down when we say so. Typical Babylon strategy, it's like, yeah, you know, we're all individual, we're all open-minded, but there's got to be a way in which we're not. There's got to be a way in which, you know, we can control you, you know, and so you preach unity, but really what you need is conformity, right? Um, and that's how Babylon works. Uh, and this was an enforced sort of unity you're gonna do this, it's gonna be wonderful, and if you don't, you will be fried to death. Isn't this fun? We have a band. Did we mention the band? You know, a big party. So that's sort of the idea. It's sort of a litmus test for conformity, um, and if you did not conform, uh, this is the first historical instance of getting flamed, right? When social media first started, you remember that phrase? If, if uh, People criticized you on social media, if they attacked you on social media, it used to be called getting flamed. Are you guys not old enough to even remember that? Social media has advanced so fast. Well this was the ultimate flaming. It's like you're gonna get attacked on social media, you're gonna be flamed to death, thrown in a in a fiery furnace. Uh, So there's a deception here. The deception is really this is just an exercise in mutual respect and unity. That's all this is. You know, it's not even really that spiritual, guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You don't have to worry about the spiritual aspect. This is just, you know, this is, this is cultural unity. Uh, but that would involve the de-prior- deprioritization of the truth about God, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't go for it. Don't swallow lies for the sake of getting along. That's the lesson. Uh, and you know, this sort of situation lends itself to political attack and subterfuge. And that's what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they get charged with disrespect. They get charged with arrogance. Um, it's interesting. They don't get charged with you know, religious malfeasance so much that they, they get charged with not paying attention to the king, not really honoring uh, the power that be. Um, the boys had fought a battle like this in chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. It had to do with their diet. They wanted to keep a kosher diet, um, and they drew a line there. Now they have to draw another line, only this one is really stark uh, because it involves their impending execution. The Babylon, in Babylon, the demand to conform keeps coming at you, chapter after chapter after chapter. Uh, I love uh, the attitude of the guys in the story and note how defiant they are. Hey, we don't have to listen to you, King Neb. Uh, God will totally deliver us from the fire, totally deliver us from the situation. And if he doesn't, we don't really care. You know, that, that's a unique sort of defiance. What strikes me about it is that, you know, they were somewhat defiant in chapter 1, and now they have to be defiant again, and the stakes have been raised, but they don't show any sign of fatigue. You know, they're still passionate. They're still on it. And uh, uh, I love this uh, about them. Um, They're basically saying, I will accept assassination before I accept dishonoring God. We uh, We have this phrase we use sometimes in English, Uh, brave it out, you know, Uh, dude, you just got to brave it out, you know, you just got to brave it. Um, I love that phrase because it turns the word brave from an adjective into a verb. And I think brave should be a verb, you know, I think we should be able to say, oh, dude, you totally braved that thing, you know, you got to brave it, you got to brave it. Well, what if it's really terrible? Ah, just brave it out. These guys braved it here in a way that is, that is a historic icon. Great story. I am obligated by the pastor's union to point out that they met God in the furnace. Right, That's what I'm supposed to you know, preach about this story. Whenever you do Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery service, you have to point out that the angel of the Lord met them in the midst of the trial in the midst of, of the flames, right? You've all heard that? Give me an amen. amen. So now I've said it, I've obligated, I've, I've fulfilled my obligation to the pastor pastor's union. Um, I'm supposed to tell you that God doesn't abandon us to our troubles, God meets us in our troubles. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and, and I think that's true. You know, this story is so famous at the point kind of starts to sound trite, but of course it's true. It's also worth noting, however, that God might save you from the flames or the flames might kill you. Right? Uh, Because these three guys admit the possibility that their standing for God in this story might well get them uh, fried. And clearly they were ready to die. And I think that this is the real truism of the story. The only way to live correctly for God is to be willing to be destroyed for God. Right? I'll say that again. The only way to live correctly for God is to be willing to be destroyed for God. And that'll make you brave. The point is not to abandon God in panic, because ultimately, one way or another, he won't abandon you, Uh, even if you die first, he'll catch you on the backside. In the climax of the story, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has his own revelation of God, and this is a particularly great part of the tale. Um, He throws them in, super hot flames, even kills some of the soldiers around the furnace. But when Nebuchadnezzar looks down into the flames, it was probably a pit. He sees four people instead of three. He realizes that one looks supernatural, um, a son of the gods, an angel of some sort. So he has a revelation. He has a supernatural revelation because of what happens. And this suggests a mighty truism for us as well. It is by enduring scorn for the sake of God that we provide testimony about God. When we endure scorn, when we endure suffering for the sake of God, that is when we provide the most powerful testimonies about God. As we said earlier in this series on living for God in the midst of Babylon, we do not bring people to God by compromising ourselves for the sake of being acceptable to those people. We bring people to God by distinguishing ourselves for God. We don't save the world by making friends with the world. We save the world by submitting entirely to the Lord. Super important principle. Being nice and agreeable to people is not what makes us powerful. Being different for God's sake is what makes us powerful. It can be different things. Of course, you want to be nice. You want to be as nice and agreeable as you can in the world. But don't build bridges at the cost of losing your distinctiveness in God. Huge mistake. And it's the mistake that Babylon constantly tempts us to make. It's just, just be agreeable. Things work out so much better. We're so much powerful, more powerful together when everybody is agreeable, when everybody plays along. That's what Babylon preaches. There is a kernel of truth in that. But it tempts you to throw out your distinctiveness for God. You are an offense to Babylon. Get used to it. Brave it out. That's the story. That's the punchline. Uh, As I discussed uh, in a recent sermon, uh, Christianity has been great for any society in the world in which it has taken root. And then what happens is that those same societies eventually try to eliminate Christianity in their midst. It's what Paul called the spirit of the world, attacking the spirit of God. Or what Jesus simply called the world. He talked about the world as if it were a system constantly um, trying to eliminate the kingdom of God. So here's a life check for us. this check. When is the last time you offended someone for the sake of God? Think about it. When is the last time you offended someone for the sake of God? This is not one of those black and white questions because the goal is not to offend. Are you you listening to me, Connor? The goal is not to be offensive. That's not the goal. All right? Um, But it's just that being offensive from time to time is a mark of spiritual health. You understand? Like, if, like, if you're never offensive to people, it's probably a bad sign. It's probably a bad sign. Are you following? You get it? Jesus offended people, like, all the time. If you ever read through the gospel stories, the dude was offending people, like, daily, uh, pretty much. Jerusalem rejected Jesus. Rome rejected Jesus. There are stories in the Gospels in which we see the majority of the crowd following Jesus reject Jesus. Paul was the greatest missionary and church planter in world history, but a lot of Christian leaders in his day uh, didn't like Paul. You know, they rejected him. The people of Jerusalem, the religious people rejected Paul. Scripture says that toward the end of his life, Paul was almost entirely alone, you know, He's just an offensive guy, even to people that should have been supporting him. I just think about this a lot. It's just worth thinking about. When's the last time someone accused you of being arrogant or mean or judgmental or divisive or just stupid for standing up for God or God's ways? It should happen to you from time to time. I think many Christians today are really dedicated to getting the world to think well of us, which which is kind of nice, to make it clear that we accept everyone. And of course, we do accept every person, but we don't necessarily accept their ways. And we must never compromise the straight edge of God's ways. Not in Babylon. That doesn't go well not anywhere. So in any sticky situation in life in which you feel a lot of social pressure, or a lot of political pressure, or a lot of financial pressure, or a lot of physical threat, uh, whether from violence or from, I don't know, say a virus, um, or a situation in which you just feel a lot of fear or anxiety about things, the first important thing for you is to make sure you, dis, you do not dishonor your Lord. The first thing is to make sure that the God you believe in is also your master, and to behave accordingly. Now that doesn't decide every detail of your behavior or anything like that, but I can tell you from experience that it's amazing. How much it helps you just to think about it. I'm feeling a lot of pressure. How do I make clear that I have a Lord in heaven? It's amazing what that does for you. It will probably make you offensive, and it will also probably make you a light in the world, just so you know. I think about this, I've been thinking about this a lot, because I have a child going off to college here in in a little little while. I think about the value of being able to stand apart when I think about all the young ones that we're sending out of the home, We're sending off to college, perhaps. When they go, they're not going to get attacked with reasoned logic. That's not how Babylon is going to come after them. They'll get tempted to play along to fit in, to be agreeable, uh, to not decide for themselves. That's how Babylon does it. And they need to understand the value of standing apart. They need to understand the value of being offensive to Babylon. Every young person needs to understand this. And they probably need to start practicing it. I want to pray today for anyone who's feeling the pressure of the world or the pressure of the spirit of the world as Paul would say what i want to pray for is the power to brave it out to to brave it out come what may to brave it out because god delivers us and to brave it out because Even if he doesn't deliver us from this particular crisis, it will be okay in the end. That's what I mean. And I think some of us are probably feeling like, man, these flames are getting hot. And everybody's angry at me. And I don't know what next year is going to bring or how I'm going to get through this. What you need is a Lord. And you just need bravery. Put those together and you get some really iconic stories worth sharing. So Father God, that's what I pray for. Uh, I pray that you would be our Lord and Savior. Come with me. I pray that you would be our true master and that at the very least we'd remember that and take occasion to draw lines appropriately when we need to, to stand apart to stand against, to be an offense, to stand accused, but to be yours, to be yours. I pray, Lord, to facilitate that, that you would give us the spirit of bravery. So often that's exactly what faith is, is just being brave in the moment, no matter what. I pray, Lord, as an extra grace that you would give us here at Blue Water Mission, a community of bravery, you know. Friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednegoes, people who get it and walk with us through the flames in fellowship with the God who's above all crises. In the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters, be brave. Give us good stories. Multiply the testimonies, Lord. And let's save the world in the right way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, beautiful, powerful Blue Water. Thank you for joining us this week for our virtual online service.
3: If you need prayer, we have people standing by that would love to pray for you. So if that's you, please email Julie at bluewatermission.org and someone will get back to you. I want to encourage all of you this week as we are preparing for Christmas season uh, to let the Lord just flow through you in the way you speak and talk
0: and love one another as we are a light to the world in this season.
3: Bless you and have a great week.